Hey everyone, welcome to The Pump Spot. I'm Amy Van Heron, and we are here sharing nourishing conversations about the many ways that we feed our families. And today we have an amazing, energetic, vital conversation. We sat down with Amanda Fisher, who's a PhD candidate at the University of California, Irvine, and so much more, as well as Jamie Zoll, who lives here in Maine, as well as me, who is a tax attorney. Both of them are members of Mother's Esquire. They are very passionate about changing the world for mothers in the field of law. And we talked about many things around feeding, everything from what it was like for Amanda to be pregnant while taking the bar, to Jamie pumping in public in the middle of the Supreme Court. You'll have to listen so you can find out the amazing name of her breast pump. And we talked about their Pump Up the Bar campaign, how we can really open the door around conversations for mothers who want to show up as their best selves as both lawyers and parents. And we talked about what it's like to navigate that journey. And I have to say, they give maybe one of the best pep talks ever at the end of the episode. So I hope you enjoy this as much as we do. And as always, if you want to continue the conversation, please join us over on the Pump Spotting app. Enjoy. Welcome to the Pump Spot. I am here today with Amanda Fisher and Jamie Zoll from Mother Esquire, and we are really excited to talk about their own personal journeys, about really important campaign that they have initiated and before them, and to really just talk about what it's like to be a parent, a mother, a feeding professional in the legal field. So without further ado, welcome to the Pump Spot to both of you. Thank you, Amy. We're glad to be here. This is exciting. Thank you for having us. Maybe we can start a little bit. Jamie, I'll start with you. Do you want to share a bit of your story about who you are and you know what has your journey of motherhood and feeding looked like so far? And just, just checking in, give us an introduction and tell us how you're doing today. Well, it's nap time, so I'm doing great right now. You know, you get the quiet golden hours of the afternoon. I am, as you said, Jamie Zell. I'm a tax attorney based out in Maine and a mom, uh, equally as importantly. Um, I have a daughter who is just about three years old, and I like to describe her as my delightful little imp, but she is a fiercely independent, very curious little one. If the upside of the pandemic has been anything, it's been being able to be home with her. You know, in my family, I am the primary breadwinner. I work full time and out of the office. And from day one, she's been home with my husband. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little envious of their relationship with one another. So I have thoroughly enjoyed being home. It has its challenges, but being home to see her every day for the last several months. I did nurse her. It was very important to me as the parent who's working outside of the home to feel like I had some hand in her kind of like daily care, even when I wasn't there. Um, And that's what breastfeeding meant to me. God, I hated pumping, but I was very fortunate that my house husband was very supportive of breastfeeding in general and of my desire to nurse our daughter. And I was also very fortunate to have uh, an office that was supportive of that as well. You know, they they gave me my own little like second office to go pump in and a whole other setup. I used the Spectre pump and the Free Me cups. I felt really like Madonna of the Cone Bra era because there's really no way around it. You're like 
it, well, you can't see the visuals, but you know, you feel like you're kind of three feet out from your body space and you're working with your arms kind of up in this, you know, zombie pose, right? But it made the fact that I was committed to nursing for as long as possible much easier. I nursed for two years. I pumped for a year and a half. And and so that having those accommodations really made that possible. I mean, I travel and I did all those other things too. So my pumping journey, we could talk about it later, is a bit of planes, trains, and automobiles. But but the fact that I had that much more support around me really did make a difference in helping me provide for my daughter and giving me at least that mental space to do so. I think, and Amanda, we'll get to your story in just a moment, but there's so much gold in what what you're saying on many levels. I think the way you worded it, having a hand in your daughter's daily care is such a beautiful thing because I think sometimes, you know, you think so much about the feeding act itself and just having to get to the next feed or pumping or storing it and all those logistics. And at the end of the day, to think about it as, as almost this gift in terms of your care when you're not there and being able to continue that is, is such a beautiful thing. And then having an employer in a space where, cause I mean the, you know, the cone bra and the, that there's almost like a pose of the hands on the keyboard. And, you know, I think probably lots of us have been there in terms of making that happen. And so that's so not awkward at all to be in that space. That's why it's so important. We talk so much about workplace support and just even that visual, I think really brings it home to like what it is to kind of be in this phase of life and how much that matters. And so kudos to your employers, kudos to your husband and to you for all of that. I can't wait to hear about your John Candy moments with the pumping and planes, trains, and automobiles. Amanda, why don't you tell us a bit about you? So I have a three and a half year old little boy. Also, yes, fiercely independent. That's a great way to describe this sort of age that they're in. I also frequently call him a three-nager because he he has a little bit of an attitude these days. And uh, it's cute now, but I wonder how things are going to go when he gets a little older. So he's been home with me in the pandemic as well. Mostly me taking care of him. That's been a very interesting experience. I'm currently working as a visiting assistant professor at a local law school here, WMU Cooley. I am very, very fortunate that they have been flexible during this whole pandemic. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have a flexible employer allowing me to work from home and have my son home with me. I'm also barred in California. I'm not doing a lot of practice at the moment, focusing more on teaching right now. And I am a PhD candidate at the University of California, Irvine, working on my dissertation, which is about gendered stigma in the legal profession. So all of it ties into my experiences, you know, being a mom, being a woman, being a lawyer, all of the different ways that we tend to identify ourselves. When, when my son was first born, I worked from home with my PhD program for about six months. So I exclusively breastfed. I did pump from the beginning just so that kind of as Jamie mentioned, but in reverse, my husband wanted to have more of a hands-on role. And so I would pump so so that he could also take part in some of the feedings. And of course, it helped that occasionally he would do the, the overnight so I could get some sleep. So that was wonderful. Uh, he was definitely supportive of the whole process. And then when my son was about six months, I went back to full-time practice. 
And that was definitely an experience. My workplace was wonderful. They were very supportive. I was able to pump in my own office. So, you know, they put up curtains and put a lock on the door and allowed me to bring in a a mini fridge. So I kind of had everything I needed at my fingertips. But my son did have to go to daycare, which was the hardest part for me at six months. I know six months is great. Like most people do not get to stay home for that long, but it was difficult for me. And the pumping journey from that point got a lot harder. You know, I remember distinctly a day where the daycare lost one of his bottles and it was full. I mean, eight ounce bottle, it was full of breast milk. And I remember, you know, that just going to pick him up and they're like, yeah, we don't know where it went. And I was just, they found it the next day and it was still full. And I was just crushed because I was like, I'm working so hard to keep pumping, to try to exclusively give him breast milk at this stage. Um, and of course, what? no blame on them, nobody's fault, but those things just happen. And it was just a very difficult part of the journey for me. Once I started work full-time, PhD full-time, pumping, uh, you know, and then when I was home with him, we were, we were n- nursing. So that's, I guess, just a little bit about me and, the, and my journey. I think it was all worth it. It was wonderful. I'm glad that we did it. So much to juggle and navigate. I think that's true, you know, of anyone's feeding journey as parents, because it just, it's such a time commitment, regardless of how you feed, whether you're breastfeeding or pumping or supplementing or, you know, however it looks, it's all those, that constant need. And so when I, w- I would imagine being in a career that requires so much of your time to be documented, to be focused. There isn't a lot of flexibility in space, I would imagine. So can you speak to us a little bit about for women who are attorneys with children, what is, what is it like? What are some of the unique challenges? What is the journey? What comes into play for you all and for other women in the field? Yeah, well, I mean, you hit on one of the biggest issues, Amy, and that is this, the fact that the legal profession still, by and large, is driven by this idea of billable hours. So, you know, that we as attorneys have to put in enough hours in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year to meet our quota, so to speak. I don't know about you, men, particularly right now, and granted, I'm done with my breastfeeding journey, but we're slammed. We're busy. Our clients are, you know, in my world in tax, I'm working with companies and businesses. My firm also does a lot of employment side for businesses and companies, et cetera. And in the pandemic, we're fielding questions constantly from our clients about what to do. And these are immediate turnaround projects because it's information that they need right now. So when you combine those two together for lawyers and lawyers who are mothers and trying to navigate pumping, it there's first off, at least for me, this question of, of scheduling, the practical schedule that you need to stay on. I think if you are not a mother or are not in close relationship with one right now, that maybe you don't think about that. I know I certainly didn't before I became a mother, just like, okay, I need to think about every two hours or every three hours, or how long can I physically go? That's It's not just the the emotional or, or whatnot. It's, I think people don't understand. It's the physical need to pump or to breastfeed every certain number of hours. And, and I think I'm not alone in saying that, you know, when you're a mother working in a high demand profession, 
who is trying to pump or breastfeed, you're already trying to space those feedings out as long as you can go for the minimal interruption to your workday. So this is all going on in our heads, right? Constantly, all the time. So to have an employer who is willing to provide a space for you, for me, it was the combination of the space, the fact that they gave me a, a second desk set up up there. So like I could actually work while I pumped and, and also the using the particular, you know, pump setup that I had that made it possible to work while pump and, and being able to do that at the same time really helped me maintain the work demands of being a professional lawyer and a mom at the same time. I agree with all of that. And then I'll add, I'll add a little bit to that. The first thing for me that came about when I was looking to go back to practice full time after having my son was, you know, the golden rule of being a mother applying for a job and being an attorney is you don't talk about your family. You don't mention it because although the profession is getting better, there are still people in places who will not be interested in hiring someone because. They either have a family or they're of that age, right? That childbearing age. It was difficult for me because I was needing to pump. How do I navigate these job interviews without one, mentioning anything about my family and two, not asking anything about pumping accommodations? I was very fortunate. My first firm, they, all my supervisors were women. And so it did come up in my interview, but even though it was all women, I was still nervous to bring it up. The fact, because one of the other women in HR, she said, oh, I have a six month old. And I said, oh, me too. Um, And that's kind of how we started the conversation. But I didn't mention anything about nursing or needing any accommodations because at that point in the interview, I didn't want to seem like, oh, if we hire her, it's going to be kind of a burden because she's going to need all these things. And so I got the job and on my first day, I showed up and I'm going through kind of the end processing onboarding. And I finally stopped and asked the HR woman, I hate to ask this, but could you tell me, do I have an office? Do I have a cube? Like, what is my space going to look like? And she said, oh yeah, that office right over there, that will be yours. Um, And I said, oh, wonderful. The one with all the windows. And she said, yes. And I said, um... I'm going to need a place to pump. Uh, I have a six-month-old and he's breastfeeding and, and I'm, I need a space that is private. And they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we didn't even think about this. You know, because they, many of the women there had breastfed. But again, as Jamie kind of mentioned, when it's not you and you're not in that moment, it's easy to sort of forget about. And so they they found me a space for that morning, which was a very old storage room that did not, the door did not lock, which made me very nervous, but they found me a space. And then by the end of the day, they had put up blinds and put a lock on my door. So that was wonderful. But even now, as my son is no longer nursing, whenever I'm in interviews with people, I don't, I don't bring up my family as much as possible. And so I think that's a unique challenge to probably not just women in law, but women in historically male-dominated professions. And 
this always, so through my research, one of the terms that has now become one of my favorite terms is a sociological term of a greedy institution. And it's an institution that sort of demands all from the people within it. So a common example is the military. But researchers since the 70s have said, well, you know, law is a greedy institution as well, as is family, especially for women. And so it's kind of navigating these these different identities and having multiple greedy institutions that we have to decide at what point are we going to pay attention to which one. And, And that juggle and that balance is, I think, a struggle that most women, most working moms, most moms can probably relate to. But it's it's not always a greedy institution like it is in law. Without those billable hours, if you're not producing, you're not valuable to your company. So just been an interesting, interesting journey in those ways. There's so much to unpack in, in terms of what you're talking about because, and you said that, that the idea, there's almost too warring is probably the wrong word, but on your time, the factors of how much a young baby or a family requires of you and then how much the workplace requires of you and finding that balance is something that you're right that I think so many women struggle with across the board but certainly in your profession it's accelerated or the the you know the expectations are high higher even than some other places and somewhat it's interesting to me because with covid it's breaking open some of the reality of that and the awareness around those conversations but you know, it makes my heart hurt thinking about how much silence is happening or has happened over the years and the ability to not talk about it. Amanda, I'm thinking of you in those interviews when A, physically the milk is coming and you're, you're that's on your mind. So you can't, I don't know how you could possibly show up as your best self when you're feeling that and you're thinking about that and conscious. And then probably the most important question for you to ask in those interviews is how they support someone in your phase of life. But you felt as though you couldn't even bring it up or you couldn't bring up that conversation until you were there to have that. And I I imagine that you probably were not alone in an experience like that. What is it? And let's talk about Mother's Esquire, because I imagine this all feeds into why you've started this organization and what your mission is, because I want to talk about how we as a society can start to change that silence and the pressure around these greedy institutions. So do you want to tell us a bit about what Mother's Esquire is and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. And and I'll jump in here, Amy, and and answer a couple of those questions. Um, Because you're right, it does feed and tie right in. Um, Mother's Esquire is a national nonprofit organization, actually international. We have uh, members around the world um, that was founded uh, by Michelle Browning Coughlin in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Actually, it started as kind of this local organization and really exploded because, as I'm sure you can imagine, there is such a need for women who are lawyers and are mothers to uh, and I, I guess I'll say women and parents, but you know, in particular, we're looking at mothers to have a support network of other lawyers who are mothers to talk about what is going on in their professions and personal lives and and help one another. The the mission of Mothers Esquire specifically is to address gender equality in the law because it still is a very male-dominated field. 
And there's a particular emphasis in Mother's Escort, so I'm sure you can imagine, on what people call the motherhood penalty, this professional penalty that mothers feel when they become mothers in their careers um, and on the caregiving demands that come with being a mother and being a professional. And really the goal or the hope of Mothers Esquire, this is my own personal experience and also the, the mission of the organization is to elevate the voices of mothers and women in the profession and to empower us to stand in and to own our own power as mothers and, and as professionals. So that way we can advocate for ourselves, advocate for one another, advocate for the tools that we need to bring our best selves forward as professionals and as mothers, because you can't, you can't separate the two. They go hand in hand. And the critical focus of Mother's Esquire, this kind of ties into the Pump Up the Bar, the campaign that you mentioned, and we can get to that in a minute, is to focus on systemic changes. So, you know, as we're talking about here, there is a, you know, a set of suggested tools and policies that Mother's Esquire has put together for lawyers, law firms, and employers on what best tools you can provide to mothers who are nursing. There are other policies, you know, what best tools to put in place for mothers and caregivers generally, not just ones who are nursing, but who are mothers and trying to balance the demands of time of caregiving and law. And, you know, those, those come in the form of parental leave policies and being deliberate in that word, use of the word parental, because yes, we need maternity leave, so to speak. I mean, there's the physical recovery of giving birth, whether it's, I mean, whatever form your birth comes in, but there's, there's a need to physically recover, but there's also the need for fathers to have access to that same leave, whether by choice or need, whatever their station and to, for them to be encouraged, you know, leave needs to be equally encouraged for all parents and caregivers because we're all there wanting to do what's best for our children parental continuance rules. This, so this is perhaps unique to the legal field, but, and, and to, I'd say litigation, I'm going to use that to include administrative in my world. So not so much in court per se, but in hearing offices, you know, we have trials, we have hearings, we have other, I call emotion sessions, but things that, you know, we are required to be in front of a decision maker at a certain time. And those days that we're supposed to be there are set by the decision maker. So the idea of a parental continuance rule is to acknowledge, have the decision maker, the court or the state agency or whatever it is, federal agency, acknowledge that we need to reschedule whatever it is that we're there for to allow time for parental leave or a sick child or a sick family member that you're caring for or, you know, the care for the parent because of something, you know, parental. And then, you know, the breastfeeding accommodations um, that we have already been talking about. So that, that's the role of Mother's Esquire. It's 5,500 members strong. And, and I can tell you from my own experience, it's like a combination of a support network and a referral network and professional advice. Like, I want to advocate for myself better at my next performance review. Here is the context of what I'm doing and, and what are your tips? What are your suggestions? Um, or the referral network, like, hey, I need a service you know, provider in Kentucky. 
does anybody know anybody that I can call? The incredible thing about Mother's Esquire is just how supportive all of these moms, it, it, it's incredible. It, it's the embodiment for me of women supporting women. When we come together to support one another, whatever our professional personal goals are, it's so empowering. It's so empowering. You know, it's because of Mother's Esquire that I realized for myself, like when I needed to go to conferences or out of state, you know, hearings to, to know that I could just call up the hotel I was staying in and say, I'm a nursing mom. I need a coal, a really cold mini fridge in my room, or I need to know that I can have extended checkout so that way I could come back after what it is and get one more pump session in and then leave. Or the conference where, you know, where you're having a continuing education to call ahead and say, I'm a nursing mom. I need a space to pump that is not a bathroom and is not a locker room because it's an issue of sanitation. I need a, you know, a space that is clean. And knowing that I had 5,000 mothers behind my back to, to call up and just say, like, and not say, oh, would you pretty please give this to me? But just say, this is what I need to have. And to know that I'm standing in strength and power with so many women behind me to make that request. We'd like to take a quick break to say we welcome all of you to download the Pump Spotting app and join the conversation. We would especially love to hear your story, your experience, your questions, if you too are a parent or mother in the field of law. And if you are an employer or you would like for your employer to offer breastfeeding support, contact us through the pumpspotting.com webpage. We're happy to tell you more about pump spotting at work and how we can support you and your workforce. It's, it's amazing the power of the collective voice and the community and the way you're coming together. I mean, pump spotting at our core, we're a community centric place. And so I've seen firsthand how much that joint advocacy and opening up the door on those conversations to just say, gosh, someone else is feeling like I am or been through this or has a tip or an insight or because somewhat, Jamie, your point about it's really hard when you're in the throes of new parenthood to speak up for yourself or to have those conversations with employers or to really, to really make momentum. But when you've been through it, there's this beautiful, almost awakening and then like drive to give back. When you say all those women are so supportive, you want to make it better for other people and you want to be there. And so what a beautiful way for you all to be bringing like-minded professionals together to be able to have this conversation and change the silence. And I, I would imagine, Amanda, in your research, you know, can you speak a bit about how, you know, what you're seeing, what you're learning, what, you know, what do you feel right now is happening or could be happening to start to make changes and continue this beautiful, amazing work that Mother's Esquire is doing even more broadly? Right now, I, I think that despite how terrible this pandemic is, I think that the profession has an opportunity here. I think we can use this to our advantage. And, you know, before the pandemic, there was a lot of firms, the law moves very slowly. 
the legal profession, we don't, we don't like change. We like things the way it's always been. And so we, we rely on those, you know, high billable hours as markers of how well we're performing. We rely on, oh, I have to be there before the boss comes in in the morning and I need to still be there by the time the boss leaves at night. I have to be there all the time. And these, this is how you make it as a lawyer, right? In, in the profession. And so I think in a lot of ways, the pandemic has sort of shredded some of those old school ideas about what does it mean to be a successful lawyer? Women, probably all parents, but particularly women and mothers for years have been saying, can I just have a flexible schedule? Can I, can I work from home even just here and there? Or just asking for you know, a little bit of accommodations. And I think that's probably my word for the day is accommodations. I'm going to talk a lot more about that in a moment when we talk about pump up the bar, but it just seems that, okay, so now we're realizing our employees, right? Us lawyers, we can be productive. We can be successful, even from home, even working kind of random hours, whether it's, you know, I get in a big chunk of time when my son's napping and then I may not get in a big chunk of time in the afternoon, but then when he goes to bed, I can get in another big chunk of time. And so I think that this is a huge opportunity for the profession just to kind of shift our expectations on ourselves, on one another, you know, for, for people in positions of power and authority, their expectations of their employees. And it gives us a chance to shine and to say, hey, look, here, I can do this to kind of prove ourselves and prove that what we've been asking for for so many years is, is not unrealistic and it's not untenable to the profession. So I, I hope that answers your question. I did want to talk a little bit about our Pump Up the Bar campaign, if that's okay, because I think it ties in. Absolutely. And I, I would love for you to speak a bit, not just about the campaign, but also why it's so necessary. What is happening with the bar exam? What is the experience like for women who are in it and women are mother who are mothers? And so I'd love for you to tell us what that experience is like and what you're doing to really change things for the better around the experience. I'll start with a, a brief anecdote and I promise not to talk forever. So I was pregnant when I took the bar exam in California. And Jamie's story a second ago about, you know, I, I knew to call the hotel and ask for these things. I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. I didn't know who to ask. I did not know about Mother's Esquire, unfortunately. And so I, I called the hotel when I made the reservation and said, I need a fridge. Is that going to be a problem? And they said, nope, no problem at all. I didn't give any details, but I, I have dietary restrictions and I was pregnant. And so I was like, I'm not taking chances on a three-day California bar exam. I'm bringing all my own food. So I got to the hotel and I went to check in and I said, I, I called and you know wanted to make sure when I booked it that there was a fridge. Can you confirm that? And they said, oh, we're, we ran out. And I said, okay, <laughs> this puts me in a little bit of a predicament. But I, I didn't feel empowered. I didn't feel that I had a voice. I, I checked in. I went to my room and I was just, I was so flustered. I was like, I don't know what to do because I have all this food. And I know that this food is going to be 
okay for me to eat while I sit for a three-day exam. And so eventually I wrote, um, I wrote a note to, you know, on, I don't know, they had some, some system where I could kind of send an email and I just said, you know, I'm pregnant and I, I have dietary restrictions and I, you know, I, I'm not trying to kind of be a stickler about anything. I just, I really needed a fridge and I'm, it's, I'm flustered. I'm upset. I'm flustered now because I don't know how and where and when I'm going to eat for the next three days. And so they were great and they brought me, they found a fridge and they brought it to me. But it was that moment of, I'm, I'm here by myself. I'm here for three days. I, all I want to do is take care of myself and my child and get through this bar exam. And I don't know how to do that right now. And I think that that, that comes through a lot with what we're trying to do with Pump Up the Bar. Because it's not clear accommodations for people who are pregnant, for people who are nursing, for people who are menstruating, it's not clear what you can ask for, what you can bring in to the bar exam. The bar exam across the country is anywhere between one and three days long. And so uh, up until the pandemic, you know, you have to be there in person. So you go in and you sit for these three to four hour long sessions of this test that you just spent years prepping for. You went to law school you did a whole bar prep program and now the day has come, right? Or the days. And it's, it's not knowing there's not a lot of information out there. And so the pump up the bar campaign is really about making sure one, that there are policies for these three things and two, ensuring that the policies are accessible because I was pregnant. I didn't, I didn't even think uh, maybe I need to ask for more time. Maybe I need to ask, I couldn't have a water bottle with me. I actually almost blacked out on the afternoon session of day three, which had never happened to me before, but I'm assuming because I was pregnant, I'd been in this stressful test for now three days. The room kind of started closing in on me and I was like, I need water, but you can't bring it in with you. So I had to leave the test, go out to the hallway, find a water station that actually had water because the first one I went to was empty. And it's just you're going through all these things that are unique to you because you're either pregnant, nursing, or menstruating. And it's like, you don't, where do I go? How do I get what I need to get through this? All I want to do is get through this. And so what we're really trying to do is, is as a whole, as systemic change to ensure that those policies, that one, there are policies, and two, that they're clear so that women People who are dealing with, you know, any of these scenarios can go to the bar examiner's website and easily find the information they need to get through the exam comfortably. Part of the immediacy that really spawned the campaign this year, in part because of the pandemic and the traditional bar exam right now is out the door. It, it, because of safety concerns about the virus. I mean, when you talk about sitting there for the bar exam, we're talking about thousands of people in a room together for eight hours a day for two to three days. I mean, talk about worst case scenario of virus prep. You know, you're just, you're all sitting there concentrating, breathing heavily because you're just like, oh my gosh, I've got to answer all these questions questions for three hours and I got to do the multiple choice today and I got to do the essays tomorrow. And when I took the bar exam, this was 
11 years ago, it was not electronic. It was handwriting for eight hours. I couldn't hold a pen for three days after the exam because you're just like, you know, and I have good handwriting and it, you could tell the, the essay one was this beautiful cursive and it was very nice. By essay eight at the end of the day or essay 10, whatever it was, it was this chicken scratch that was, you know, you talk about legal pad, it was huge. And when I, when it was handwritten, they only gave you four pieces of paper per essay. It's not like you could write 20 pages. You had four pieces of paper. You had to get what you wanted on that four pieces of paper. And when you're talking about essay 10, when your handwriting has spaced out to like two inches per letter, like a kindergartner would write, that's valuable real estate, you know? But the immediacy came and it came to our national attention because I think it was New Mexico, right, Amanda, that um, announced that they were not allowing people who menstruate to bring in their own sanitary products to the exam. And they said it was a, a concern over cheating. It brought together some like deja vu flashback. The year I took the bar exam was the first year they stopped allowing people to bring highlighters into the exam because they found... I'm kind of still unbelieving about this, but they found that people managed to cram a scanner into a highlighter and people on the West Coast, three hours behind us, would pay people on the East Coast to use these special highlighters, scanners, to scan the questions so they would have three hours advance notice of what the questions are, right? So that was the impetus behind this. Um, but like, who's going to scan a, cram a scanner into a tampon or a sanitary pad? Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was part of it. And then the other aspect of it, this, like the pump of the pump up the bar campaign, um, Oklahoma took the position that for mothers who were pumping, they're welcome to pump during the exam in the exam room in public with all of the other people who were in the exam room with them. And we're not going to provide time accommodations. Now, I mean, you know, this, Amy, when you're pumping, if you can get it into 15 or 20 minutes, it's a darn quick pumping session, right? Um, and, and so you're already concerned as it is about time management, forget having to pump, time management on you know 10 essays or who knows how many hundred multiple choice questions is already a problem. Throw in two pumping breaks, so to speak, in the middle of that. You figure one for the morning session and one for the afternoon session. That's stress. You figure... I got to do this in public. Okay, well, I can't bring my poncho because I lived in ponchos when I was pumping. I don't know about you, but I, I can't bring that in to be a little bit more private. And okay, so I got to sit there in public with like everything hanging out and the stress of that. And we all know this stress in directly impacts your milk production. So you're already like, I'm so nervous and you're not going to, pump as much under those circumstances anyway. So th those two things together came to Mother S. Esquire's attention. And we said, we have to do something about this. We have to make it possible for women to bring in their own menstrual products. I, I, I will say that becoming a mother turned on my like ultra feminist mode and people menstruate people and we need sanitary products to use for them. And I may not want to like walk around with a box of Playtex in the thing, but I want to be able to use the products that I am comfortable using. And I want to be able to get access to them during the exam, whether that's having them in the room with me 
or having you know a space right at the door that I can just walk past on my way out to the bathroom, but my own products. And let's talk about this in a pandemic because you know the response from New Mexico and other bar examiners was, we'll just provide a bowl in the bathroom and people can pick from the bowl. It's like, that's hundreds of thousands of hands in the same bowl in a pandemic with a highly contagious disease. Like that's, that's just, no. So that was part of it. And, and then, you know, the pumping, it's, it's a concern for moms and, and pregnant. I, I, I've been focusing on pumping and menstrual products because they're the ones that like, you have to exit the room most, but when you're multiple months pregnant, hello, it's pushing on your bladder. You have to be able to get up and go to the bathroom. That's just physiognomy. I'm getting my words wrong. I'm not a scientist, but there's a physical need to get up and move if you're dealing with preeclampsia and other high blood pressure issues where you're, you cannot sit for four hours. You, you need to physically get up and walk because there's health risks that you face if you don't. You need to relieve yourself because your bladder has a human being pressing on it. You need to be able to have the ability to do those things and not be judged for it because of your who you are as a test taker. We are women. We are strong. We are amazing. We are going to be amazing lawyers. And we should not be set up from the beginning in like a fail-safe hide-myself mode in just trying to get the license we need to be a lawyer in the first place. That's what spawned this whole campaign. Yeah, if the entry point into the career is so filled with restrictions that make you, that really take away the physical needs, the emotional support, like essentially the beginning is set up to not allow you to bring your best self to the test, to the experience, to what you want to put forward, because you have to worry about all these practical needs that are not being met. And also the stigma around the way they're assuming it can be handled or covered. Uh, You know, clearly I have pumped in public in a middle of a crowded airport before, and I have never felt so vulnerable or sweated so much or felt so stressed about what I was doing. And I wasn't trying to take a test that might determine the course of my future for something. And so to put that pressure, that mental load, that emotional, you know, weight on someone is, and, and on the flip side, yet, if you think about the positive side, if we become a society that supports women in this endeavor. And we say, you know what, you might be at a phase of your life where this test or this moment has to look a little bit different in order for you to thrive. Our entire society thrives because we are allowing you to flourish as the professional, the, the lawyer, the, you know, that you could be to serve our world in this better way. It's, it's like the benefits on the flip side are just so tremendous that it's hard to see why we wouldn't want to have these conversations. But, you know, Amanda, partly to your point, it's it's a space where things have been the way they've been for a very long time. And I am really love that you speak to this pandemic as a moment of opportunity for these conversations and this change to happen. For what you're doing with the campaign and Mothers Esquire, how can we, whether we're in the field or outside the field, what are the steps we can take to help support this campaign, to help open the doors around these conversations? Can you give us a bit of 
you know, direction for how we can start to be part of the change. So one thing that you mentioned earlier was this idea of silence. And I think that we need to talk about it. We need it to be out in the open. And then Jamie said, you know, we're, we're women, we're mothers. It happens. Like this is just part of who we are. And I'm born and raised in the South. And so you don't talk about those things, right? It's just not done, but we have to talk about it. We absolutely have to talk about it. Since I've started teaching at the law school, I've had a couple of, of students who became mothers and realized early on, we don't have a lactation room. And so we, you know, a group of us moms, we got together and we said, we, we need to fix this and we need to do it now. And we did, but it was the silence. And when I talked to the students, they said, I didn't know who to go to. I didn't know who to talk to about it because I'm not going to go tell my male professor, like I'm leaking. I need to go right now. You know, please don't mark me absent. They weren't going to go to the male Dean and say, excuse me, Dean, I need a place to pump. And so I think, I think one of the biggest issues that we have with all of these, these separate scenarios is there is so much silence and, you know, the people who are going through it in that moment, you know, how I was in that moment, I was scared to talk about it. I thought there would be stigma. I thought that people would look at me differently and treat me differently. And I didn't want that. I just wanted to be the same as everyone else. And so now that I've been through it, I try to make sure that we're talking about it, that we are bringing it out into the open. We're shining a light on it and we're saying it's okay to be who you are and need the things that you need to be successful. Mother's Esquire, you can go to our website, mothersesquire.com, and it's mothers, plural, esquire.com. And on there, we do have a link to our Pump Up the Bar campaign for more information. And, and that, it's not just more information about the campaign, it's information about the resources that are already available. So if you are looking for information about what the accommodations are in your state, it's on our website. Um, so it will tell you if if Colorado already provides lactation rooms or already has a policy about menstrual products, it's there. As part of the campaign, we're hoping to encourage universal adoption of policies among the states. And as that changes, as states pledge to join Pump Up the Bar um, and pledge to provide these accommodations, we'll be updating our website with current information. There's information about, you know, news coverage of the impacts for women. There's also a page directed towards mothers. Like here are things based on our own experience collectively as mothers, as lawyers, and as test takers. And we're focused so much on the bar exam because it's being held right now. You know, typically they're the last week of July because of the pandemic, they've kind of spread across the, the fall, but that's why we're focused so much on the bar exam right now, as opposed to the the profession generally. And we'll, we'll get there we are working on that too. You know, there's also a research page for mothers. of, So that way, you know, if you find yourself in Amanda's position or your students, here are the, the things to ask for. Here are the ways to ask those questions. Here are things that we think you're going to benefit from. Like, I wish I had X, Y, Z, you know, whatever it is during the exam. And, and you know, that phrase, knowledge is power. For mothers who have the knowledge about what to ask for and how to ask for it, this was my experience. It puts you in a position of power and empowerment, knowing that you don't have to flounder and figure out 
oh, who, do I call the male dean or do I call the bar examiner overseer? Like, who? So, so that's resource page is there as well. It's really, really amazing. A, how much passion and enthusiasm and support you both are bringing to this and what Mother's Esquire is doing broadly to really help bring the resource and the advocacy and, and that you know connection to everyone. I just, I'm so inspired by it and really impressed. And it takes a lot of strength, Jamie, to your point, to do what you all are doing, what every mother is doing, but certainly in the field that you're in. And so we, before we wrap up, I would love for each of you to put on kind of your superhero cheerleader hats. And when you think about all the other women in your networks and not yet in the networks, but out there about to take the bar test or the bar exam in the exam, practicing all those women, can you just give them a little pep talk from each of you about what they should keep in mind and what you want to say? I'm going to put on my little cape. You can't see it because it's an audio recording, but in our world as women lawyers... Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG, is our heroine queen, if you will. Um, and, and for those of you who are listening who can't see what I'm putting on, I, I am a lawyer. I am a nerd. I bought my daughter. Yes, I did. A little descent bib, the descent jabot in a bib. And I, um, I named my pump Ruth Baby Ginsburg. Yes, I did. Oh because God. that's amazing. It, her life story and, and her journey as a mother and as a lawyer is so incredibly inspiring. For the test takers, like, first off, you've got this. We have been prepping for years to take this exam and know that you have thousands of women behind you in support for taking the bar exam. You have, you've got this. So I just want to put that message out there for them. You know, for those who are nervous about the, the pumping journey, I did pump in public like you, Amy, and and I, I, in the United States Supreme Court, yes, I did, because there are no lactation rooms in the U.S. Supreme Court. I called ahead and they don't have them. And when you are there to hear an argument, you have to wait in line to get in. And there's a limited number of seats. I was not about to lose my place in line. So I pumped in public with my poncho, with my Ruth Baby Ginsburg. Know that if you are, I would just say for mothers who are taking the bar exam, know that you are supported in your needs as a mother. Mother's Esquire has you, I have you, and in your needs to provide, you know, to my thrust in pumping, you you are so held up and supported to provide that daily care for your child the way that you need to provide it. I think the point of all this is that we have the knowledge and we have the choice. And I just want to give that message out there to the people who are taking the bar exam right now that we're here for you with the knowledge so you can make your choices that you need to put your mind at ease to take that exam because you're going to be an amazing lawyer and we're going to launch you off into the world of law. Wow, that's really difficult to follow, Jamie, Uh, but I will do my best. So I'm working with a lot of graduates who are taking the bar at the moment, prepping still to take the bar. We should have taken it a while ago. And what I keep telling them is you all are warriors. Not only have you just graduated law school, not only are you doing all of this during a pandemic, you know, most, most law schools right now, we're not having graduations. So you didn't get to have your moment of celebration. 
you didn't get to have that sort of capstone to to say, look at what I have done. You didn't get that. You are now prepping for an exam that you don't know what it's going to look like, what it's, that it, it has changed so much over the course of the last few months. And it keeps changing. It's constantly changing, especially here in Florida. You're all warriors, every single one of you. And those of you who are doing it, who have kids, are just even bigger warriors in my mind because not only are you sacrificing yourself, but your kids are sacrificing the time away from you to study. It will be worth it. Everything that Jamie said, I just amplify that a thousand times. It will be worth it. We are here for you. If you feel like you are, you can't speak up, you can't ask the questions, please reach out. I'm happy to ask any questions. I'm happy to you know, find information, provide the knowledge or find the knowledge that's necessary for all of you to be successful. And then for everyone who's already in the profession, all of us who are here, I think that Mother's Esquire has been such an amazing organization in my own life. And I only came across this very recently in the last few months. And so I, I was just, my mind was blown. How did I not realize? Of course, there's this incredible group of women mothers who are supporting one another and helping one another. Of course there is, because we all know how hard the struggle is. And so I hope that we continue to grow. And I hope that more people understand the value in reaching back down to help pull others up to where we are. We have made it through the bar exam. We are in the profession. We, you know, we have, we're, we're in that place where so many people hope to find themselves. And it is truly a privilege and an honor. And so all I want to do is help bring other people up to where I am, particularly parents, mothers, women, because it's extra hard. It's extra hard for all of us. And so I hope that this spirit is, is contagious. And I hope that we can continue to spread it you know, to others and that the group just, just grows beyond measure. I can't imagine the passion of the both of you being anything less than incredibly contagious. It is wonderful. I, it's, I'm so honored that you spent this time talking to us. I hope, I hope to all you mothers out there in law and getting ready to take those words to heart, share this podcast far and wide check out Mother's Esquire, become a part of the community. And I also just want to give a shout out to all the employers, all the, you know, all the firms and employers that are also really thinking about your parents and your mothers during the time of feeding and beyond. Um, We really appreciate it. And if you're not Mother's Esquire, pump spotting, there's all these places to go to help change the world for that piece of it. But your enthusiasm is so contagious, 100%. It's been a great honor. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Amy. It's been a great afternoon. Thank you. This has been the Pump Spotting Podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation and hanging out over on our app. We hope you'll come by to share your story and thoughts. And if you haven't already downloaded Pump Spotting, it's quick and easy to set up your profile and join the community. 
Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our wonderful production team at Pitchwire, who partner with us to bring you these stories. We'll see you next time. And remember, you are capable, you are radiant, and you are not alone.